Welcome to the Well Community Talks. So tonight we are wrapping up the first quarter of the book of Acts. Uh, and we're wrapping up this series that we've called Seize the 167. And my, my hope and my prayer is that it has encouraged you and inspired you to lean into the person of Jesus, discover who he is, lean into community, although it looks different right now. Uh, we're learning that it did for the early church too. It, it was kind of outside the box thinking. Um, but I also pray that it encourage you to dig into scripture, to discern how to seize the 167 hours that we have available to us beyond the one hour that we gather uh, for church each week. So we're still going to be journeying through the book of Acts, but I thought what better time that as the story and the narrative kind of takes a shift in focus, that we too can kind of shift that focus as well. And we're going to be starting a new series as we continue through the second part of Acts called Unstoppable, The Church Unleashed. And I'm excited to dig into that, uh, that we'll pick up um, right where we leave off tonight. We'll pick up with that next week. But last week, we ended where Stephen was brought before the High Council of Religious Leaders to defend himself on these false charges, saying that he was speaking against the Law of Moses and that he was speaking against the Temple. And tonight, we're going to be reading his speech that he gives. But what's interesting is that it's not so much a defense. It's not him pleading for his life, which you'd think it would be, but rather he tells a story. He embraces the art of storytelling. And I believe that storytelling is in your DNA. It's in our DNA as followers of Jesus. And what we'll see is that he retells God's overarching story because he's tapping into the power of God's greater story, the power that can wake us up and transform us to this new thing that God is doing. Because you see, in other words, Stephen's not trying to save his life. He's trying to save theirs. And I love this. He's trying to wake us up to this new thing that God's doing and challenge them and challenge us on where do we stand in relationship with Jesus? What side of the story are we on? So tonight, after we read Stephen's speech, we're going to quickly look at four things. Storytelling, that's part of your DNA. Opening your eyes. Standing at the threshold of heaven and earth. And then finally, get off your butt. So I need to prepare you for something though. I'm about to break all the rules of preaching. I'm about to go against everything that I've learned in Bible school and seminary on how much scripture to read and how much to incorporate because we have been journeying through the book of Acts and I believe that we need to continue to journey through the book of Acts. And if we're going to read the book of Acts, then we actually have to read the whole book of Acts. And I'm saying all of this is because tonight you might be wondering what I'm going to be reading. Well, I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 7. That's right, Acts chapter 7. I'm reading the entire thing because I want us to be able to not break up Stephen's speech into small tidbits. I want us to be able to see his whole speech as this whole story, which fits into this greater overarching narrative of what God's doing. So let's get right into it. If you have a Bible, with, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 7. We're going to start right in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through. And if you prefer, 
Also, feel free to just close your eyes and listen to the words. Soak it up. Absorb it. Let it speak to your soul. Or as Stephen is trying to do before the high council, let the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit wake you up to this new thing God is doing. Let's read together. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestors Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, Leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said, and in the end they will come out and worship me here in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob, and when Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs of the Israelite nation. These patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. But a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery and our ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father Jacob and all his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb Abraham had bought for a certain price from Hamor's sons in Shechem. At this time, at, at the, as the time drew near, when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? He asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. 
As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans, have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Moses was with our ancestors, the, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. In the book of the prophet, it is written, was it me? You were bringing sacrifices and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Moloch, the star of your god, Rephan, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me a, such a resting place? Didn't my hand shake both heaven and earth? You stubborn people, you're heathen at heart. You de you're deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did. And so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they sh shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor. At God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses 
and he, he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. May God bless the reading of his word. So what does this huge speech show us? Well, I believe it shows us that storytelling is in your DNA. It's part of our DNA as followers of Jesus. This one commentary that I've been consulting by Willie Jennings, he, he says this, there is no life without story. How true is that? My friend Brent and I, every time we were about to make a stupid decision as young adults, we would say, do it for the story. We always wanted to have this collection of funny stories that we could tell our friends. And while it gave us stories, it also gave us lots of hospital trips and some tickets and fines and just one thing after another. But there's power in stories. Think about it that our life is made up of stories. Our life is made up of story and we've entered into an even greater story at this point in time, a story that, that began long before us and that will continue long after us. Think about the, the power that stories have and how they define you and shape you and all that you do. In fact, story has the power to, to wake us up, to transform us, to move us. And because of that, storytellers have great power. We have to realize that Stephen has been brought to this moment in life because of a new story. A new story that has Jesus at the center of it. And when Jesus is at the center of our story, I believe he radically reorders our life. He transforms us from the inside out. And as we see with Stephen, as Jesus' story takes a hold of our lives, we become dangerous because we become storytellers who have the power to transform this world. You see, Stephen stands before the high council answering their question, are these things true? Now, what things are they referring to? Well, that's going back to last week where he was being falsely accused of speaking against the law of Moses and speaking against the temple. And rather than simply defending himself, Stephen actually becomes this storyteller and he reframes Israel's story. He goes back to Israel's greats. He, he talks about Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. And what he's doing, as well as Luke, who's the author of Acts, he's drawing people into a story that has the power to move them from death to life to help them understand that the story that they think is right actually misses the point. I believe that storytelling is in our DNA as followers of Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking, but I am not good at telling stories. I can't do it at all, but hear me out. As much as this is about the power of story and the storyteller, this is also a moment about joining. And what I mean by that is the Holy Spirit joins with us. The Holy Spirit is present. He speaks through us. 
He guides us just as he spoke through Stephen and guided Stephen as he gave witness to the truth. You see, Jesus tells his followers in Luke 21, 13 to 15, this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Isn't that so encouraging? But I believe that while the Holy Spirit can and does give us supernatural wisdom, I believe it's also important that we know the story, that we know the story that we've entered into as followers of Jesus. You see, it's, it's kind of like exams. I don't know about you, but I didn't often prepare as much as I should have for exams. And sometimes then it'd be the night before an exam and I'd be praying and I'm like, God, help me, help me to pass this exam. But meanwhile, he's not going to give me this information that I don't know, but I learned that I needed his help to help recall the information that I had prepared for. And I think that's similar to this, is that Stephen knows the story and he's going back and he's reframing it and he's, he's putting together this performance with the help of the Holy Spirit to help tell this story to bring people from death to life. You see, I believe he equips us, he speaks for us, but he wants us to know his story in order to lean on it and in order to recall it. But that also means that you need to have your eyes open. Because can you see God at work around you? Do you see the story at work within your life and happening around you? See, while Stephen's being accused of speaking against the temple, and at first you might even think, yeah, he kind of is speaking against the temple. The more I sat with this text, I don't think that's the case. You see, it would be this complete departure from Luke's earlier writings about the temple, even at the beginning of Acts. Rather, what Stephen is saying is that in Jesus, there's this new sense of holy ground, just like we saw in the story of Moses. Verse 30 reminds us of when Moses came upon the burning bush in Exodus 3, long before the temple even existed. And it was here that Moses received a sense of vocation, that he was being prepared and equipped by God to rescue and lead his people. But what's interesting is that some of the ancient thinkers say that he doesn't take his sandals off because the ground has suddenly become holy. He takes his sandals off because his eyes were opened and he's just now realizing that the ground has been holy this whole time. Isn't that beautiful? His eyes were opened to where God was and is present. He, he's realizing that it didn't just become this holy place. It's always been this holy place in the presence of God. All of life is spiritual. All space is sacred. All ground is holy because he is present everywhere. You are on holy ground wherever you are, but do you see it? I believe this current pandemic is actually reminding us that there are so-called burning bushes or equivalents all over the place, but are we paying attention? I believe God wants to reveal himself to us in fresh new ways but are we willing or are we taking the time to look? What new stories 
are people going to tell in the days to come as they look back at our church and ask, what new things was God doing in their day? While temples and churches and worship gatherings, they they still have their place and power in our lives as we all come together and gather around the table with bread and wine to participate in what Jesus is doing in his ongoing life in the world. I believe Jesus shows us that the world isn't divided into the common and the sacred. Rather, Jesus helps us see the sacred in the common. And that's what I believe Stephen is saying here, especially in verse 48. He's saying, God is present everywhere. You can't restrict God to the temple. And you see, I think that's a challenge for us too, that this pandemic is currently showing us, that we can't restrict God to our church buildings and our systems. God is at work everywhere. Kudzi actually sent me this great graphic this week. It's a picture of Satan and God on opposite sides and looking above the world. And Satan says, with COVID-19, I closed your churches. And God replies, on the contrary, I just opened one in every home. Isn't that awesome? Like, I love that. We need to open our eyes and ask ourselves, what opportunities is this making possible? It's so easy for us to focus on what's not possible at the moment, but what if God's using this time to help open our eyes to discover what he's inviting us into and participate with him in a fresh new work? You see, as followers of Jesus, we stand at the threshold of heaven and earth. The temple, again, was supposed to be that place. It was supposed to be the place where heaven and earth met. But Stephen, again, is demonstrating that heaven and earth come together in the person of Jesus and his followers. At the end of Stephen's speech, it all becomes clear to Stephen. As as he sees the heaven and he sees the risen Jesus standing in the place of honor, at the right hand of God. And this is where I can, I believe we see the Holy Spirit powerfully speaking through Stephen with a prophetic voice speaking through him. He's, he's calling them out. Stephen is laying a charge against the leaders. He's been saying that all along in Israel's story, they've missed the point time and time again. He's saying that throughout the story, they've continually rejected God's messengers. And they've rejected God's chosen people and that they're doing it again. You see, Stephen knows what's coming at this point. And, and I think that's this, this beauty where you see this threshold being made known in his sight that, that heaven is opening. He's seeing the risen Jesus and he knows death is coming. He's just laid down this ferocious charge against the Jewish leaders. But when it comes to his own death, he shouts a prayer at the top of his lungs. As stones and rocks are flying at him and his body is being crushed, he follows the example of Jesus. He asks God not to hold this sin against them. You see, he's not calling down curses and judgment on his torturers and executioners. Rather, he's standing at the threshold of heaven and earth. And he's calling down blessing and forgiveness. Here, Stephen joins the ongoing work 
and witness of Jesus. And it's a witness that cannot die. This is the life transformation that's available to us only through the person of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. But this brings me to my final point as I wrap up the first quarter of Acts. We need to get off our butts. How does Acts begin? With Jesus telling his followers that they'll be empowered to take the good news, his message to the ends of the earth, beginning with Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. But what do we see here as we get to chapter 8? They're still in Jerusalem. Jesus tells them they're going to leave their bubble, leave their comfort zone, and go far from home, spreading his message. But seven chapters later, and they're still in the world that they've always known. But it's following the death of Stephen that a great persecution breaks out, and they're scattered to where? Judea and Samaria. You see, sometimes it takes a little suffering and struggle for us to move out of our bubbles, to move out of our comforts. But this does not mean that God cannot and is not using it. So where is God calling you? Where is he leading you and empowering you? And wherever that might be, let me suggest that you get off your butt and follow him. Embrace your DNA as a storyteller, as a witness to Jesus. Open your eyes to see where he's present already in your midst. And recognize that you're standing at the threshold of heaven and earth, joining in and participating with the risen Jesus. So let's get off our butts and let's take hold of the opportunities that are around us to become dangerous storytellers by transforming the world with the hope, love, joy, peace of Jesus Christ. Let me close in prayer and then I have a few quick reminders. Heavenly Father, God, this is a difficult speech to somewhat comprehend, but also to, to live out. God, it's scary to pray that we would follow the example of Stephen, but more than that, he's following the example of your son, Jesus. So God, as followers of you, I pray that we too will follow your example, that we will call down blessing and forgiveness upon those who persecute us, who cause us suffering and grief. God, I pray for those who, who might not be sure where they're at in this story, on what side they're at in relationship with you. God, open their eyes to your son, Jesus. Help them draw near to you and lean into you. And God, I pray that together as a church family and community, we can encourage one another and spur one another on to get off our butts and to go where you are leading. God, we are called to take your good news to the ends of this earth. And I pray that we can begin doing so in our homes and our families and our neighborhoods and to the ends of the earth so that lives will be changed and transformed by, from the inside out for your glory. 
God, I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And just a few reminders as we wrap up here this evening that next week we're having the live Zoom after party at 545 Um, So be sure to connect with us then, participate. Uh, We're going to have communion together, worship, and I will let you know about uh, the emergency budget that we've just approved. If you're on YouTube, please like this video, hit subscribe, hit, hit the bell, which will keep you informed on any new content. And if you're on Facebook, please like this video, share it. Uh, it just helps raise the awareness of who we are in our community. But for now, as we wrap up the Seize the 167, may you continue to seize the 167 hours that are available to you from now until we meet again. And may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.